This is the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast, a place for those who care about strengthening families and protecting children. You'll hear about the innovations, emerging trends, and success stories across child welfare, direct from those striving to make a difference. This is your place for new ideas and information to support your work to improve the lives of children, youth, and families. Welcome back to the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Tom Oates, glad to be with you again and glad to continue our series sharing some practical guidance and strategies to improve how child welfare agencies incorporate fathers and paternal families into their casework. What we're doing in this series is sharing the strategies and experiences from different jurisdictions that participated in the Fathers and Continuous Learning and Child Welfare Project. Now, in mid-2019, the project implemented a Breakthrough Series Collaborative, uh, otherwise known as a BSC. And, and that's a method designed to support continuous learning by testing and spreading promising practices to improve outcomes on a particular topic. Now, in this case, of course, the BSC focused on improving placement stability and permanency outcomes for children by engaging their fathers and paternal relatives more. Now, I really enjoyed this conversation with key members of the team from Los Angeles County. Now, you'll hear their passion clearly in our discussion, but what struck me as the most interesting was the depth of the relationship between L.A. County's Department of Children and Family Services and the community organizations that they partner with. Now, it's no surprise the effort to improve father engagement was taken seriously, but the shared commitment to challenge the norm and challenge each other, and you'll hear the term intentionally and unapologetically used often, it's that commitment that really shined in the conversation. So we're joined by Angela Parks-Piles, Deputy Director for Contract Services with L.A. County's Department of Children and Family Services. Angela was a previous regional director with the department and brings around 30 years' experience in child welfare. Also, Dr. Alan Michael Graves, National Program Director of the Good Plus Foundation, which is a 20-year-old goods and services provider for families in New York City and L.A., and that has applied a greater focus on intentionally including fathers over the past decade. Now, while we get into some of the strategies to change both the processes and tools and mindsets within the child welfare system, I want you to pay attention to how the community was a cornerstone for change, not just a member of the team there to check a box for participation in the BSC. You'll also hear Angela and Alan Michael's stories about the positive outcomes that they're seeing, key takeaways for success, and what they would do differently if they were to embark on the journey to improve fatherhood engagement all over again. It's just a great conversation that I'm so happy you're able to listen to. Angela Parks-Piles and Dr. Alan Michael Graves discussing changes to how fathers and paternal families are treated, engaged, and involved within Los Angeles County's child welfare system. And it's right here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Dr. Alan Michael Graves and Angela Parks-Piles, welcome into the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. And, And let me get right to it. Uh, when we've been talking with other jurisdictions about their involvement in the BSC, uh, a lot of them point to an impetus or a desire within their agency 
to improve their relationship or their engagement with paternal uh, families or, or fathers. But tell me, Angela, how it was actually the community that played an initial role in L.A. County's involvement in, in this particular BSC. Absolutely. And so um, I can't start at this particular BSC. I have to start a long time before that. Uh, so happy to have um, Alan Michael partnering with me because that's how the work started. It started with um, Alan Michael, you know, coming to the county of Los Angeles. At that time, he was working with Project Fatherhood, but he'll tell his story. But more importantly for me was that of being a regional administrator, meaning an office head of an entire um, operation where we have social workers and, you know, boots on the ground staff. And so uh, already knowing that in child welfare, just by the fact that, you know, the, the child's case is in the mother's name, you know, that's been the discipline. You know, uh, not only, you know, for me working at DCFS, but even when I started, you know, my educational journey, you know, it's always been a slant towards the mothers. And if I'm being really honest with myself, even in my, uh, you know, indoctrination as far as, you know, family and culture and things of that nature, you know, it's a mama's baby, daddy's maybe. Okay. (laughs) That has always rang in my head. You know, culturally, you know, uh, didn't see anything negative with that. Uh, And even the, you know, the the adage of the father helping the mother or the father babysitting their child. And so I say all that to say that you already come to this work with a bias. And so uh, not even realizing or knowing that you come with that bias. And so uh, with that, you know, Alan Michael stepped up as a community member you know, you know, just to, to say not only to myself, but many of us in leadership, you know, do you really see, you know, exactly how biased you are towards the paternal family? And I knew that we were, you know, somewhat biased, but, you know, I'll be candid. I had no idea how biased and more importantly, how it really affected, you know, the actual family, the child and even the paternal relatives. I don't know that I had gone, you know, deep enough to realize it's not just a father. You're talking about a grandmother, a grandfather, cousins and aunties and relatives. And in child welfare, you know, the richness, you know, of a child's life as it is anywhere else is that of the village, the family, you know, the tribe. And not realizing, you know, that that really it wasn't not only about a case being in a mother's name. It was about denying, you know, this child and this family of just an entire lineage, you know? And so, yes, I shared with you before, you know, it is absolutely the community and in particular, Alan Michael that came to me personally and said, let's partner, you know? And oftentimes when um, community comes to a government agency, you know, seemingly it is, you know, what do they need? And I have to say, you know, this particular community partner, came offering, bearing gifts, you know, and, and with that, you know, uh, it, it sounded different. It felt different. It moved different, you know? And so I was like, you know, let's do it. So I'll stop there and I'll let, uh, Alan Michael maybe even add on. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Angela. So I came to, um, the department uh, with, I'll say ignorant, right? I was working with families for, 10 years maybe prior to that, and teaching fathers parenting tools. 
And along the way, I realized that we were teaching these tools and giving these fathers um, education and information around parenting. Um, but we were releasing them back out into society and systems who weren't very father friendly. And in particular, in Los Angeles, it was the child welfare system. So I'd be working with a guy for six months and he would be like, Alan Michael, you know, I got all that you were saying, but I'm having trouble here or there. And initially I didn't believe them until I started um, partnering. And actually before I partnered, we were just looking at how um, the community was treated by the department. And it wasn't treated in a bad way. It was treated in an unknowing way. And so as the representative of the community, as Angela said, I just came to the table and said, listen, you know, my experience has been these fathers are not treated fairly. There's no equity. And we're actually preventing the reunification of these families in the way that we all say we want. And so we began this partnership to look at how we might um, utilize community and government systems and department being the DCFS being the biggest um, to help these families reunify in a different way than we had had before. Um, as it pertains to the BSC, um, I, as a willing partner at that point with DCFS, joined the, the, the team in the BSC thinking, to be honest with you, this is another one of those check the box type things. And so, yes, I agree to be part of the team. Yes, I'll go to DC. Yes, I'll participate not thinking that the outcome would be the outcome that it was. So um, it, it was it was huge that um, we were the community was invited to that space because they could have participated in act and done like systems have done for a long time and said, yes, we do. Yes, we do. But me being a and I'll just say a, an outspoken person of the community, um, it was brave of them to invite me to be in the team um, to, to be highlight nationally well i'm curious to actually dive into like the strategies that actually you know alan michael the way you described it kind of like maybe turned your your perspective around to saying all right this is beyond the check the box uh kind of exercise but angela walk, walk back with me when you talked about you know you talked culturally of how kind of fathers were kind of put in a in a different maybe mindset um, but how had the county itself been addressing father and paternal family engagements? You know, the way Alan Michael described it as, as you know, they, they weren't treated fairly. Can you give me some examples of what the agency was or wasn't doing? We were listening to the mother. So I'll give you a, a for instance. If we go to a mother and we ask her, you know, who's the father, which is, is a standard question. You know, you want to know the parentage. And if she says, I don't know, I, I haven't spoken to him, I didn't know who he was. Well, typically, you know, years ago, we didn't go any further. We just wrote it down, unknown. And as such, the court follows suit as well. You know, we, we take a court report, we go to court. We were never pushed on, you know, who's the father. No one ever asked where are their grandparents, are their aunts, are their cousins. And again, this is not only L.A. County, this is child welfare. And so uh, in many ways, you know, and, you know, oftentimes you would have a father, you know, that would, you know, find out, you know, some sort of way and call the department. And uh, father always has to prove he's the father. Mother never has to prove she's the mother. 
you know, and that's whether or not we were there when she gave birth at the hospital or not. She can walk in off the street and say, I'm mother, and we just take it at face value, you know, but a father never, okay, a father could never walk into a DCFS office and say that I am Father X and that we say, oh, okay, let's discuss your case. So, you know, that's just a couple of the ways, you know, that I can uh, point out. And, I, and there are many others, you know, but those two, you know, uh, quite descriptive. And those those happen most often, you know, hopefully not so much now, but probably still in, in some spaces. Also, I do want to wrap back around about the BSC. And so uh, when we were, uh, the federal government reached out to us, Mathematica, uh, to be involved, it was through what they'd heard in other arenas and forms from Alan Michael. Not that Alan Michael was saying, you know, you need to choose LA County. They had been on forums and, you know, in spaces whereby he was, you know, he discussed what was going on authentically, you know, in LA County, you know, with this partnership. And, you know, that precipitated um, us having an invitation to the table you know, and everybody wanted to hear, you know, really they want to know, is it true? I'm just going to be really honest with you. I know when they reached out to me, you know, because uh, I'm the executive sponsor and, uh, you know, a huge catalyst for this work in the department, you know, myself and some others, you know, they say, you know, is this really true? What we're hearing, you know, we've heard, you know, this said and so on and so forth, you know, and, and we were able to tell them, oh, no, not only is it true, that and more, especially when it comes to Alan Michael, you know, because, um, He's right about being the loudest voice. And what I can say to that is, you know, thank God. Well, I would add to that, you know, um, in, in what Angela's talking about, I do this work across the country and um, I work in a lot of spaces with a lot of child welfare systems and a lot of communities that are working with or against those systems. And I had been saying in other spaces, you guys need to do what we're doing in Los Angeles, right? Because, and this will go in a little bit about and one of your future questions, but um, when we first came to the table, it wasn't pretty, right? It was, it was, we were both defensive uh, and even Angela and I, you know, Angela was like, this is what the department does. And I'm like, well, this is what the fathers are saying. And we were butting heads. And it wasn't until, you know, really hunkering down and saying, okay, wait a minute, we're losing the focus and the focus is the families. Let's put our guards down, our dukes down and really strategically think about how we're going to do this. And Angela immediately said, okay, well then let me send some of my staff to be trained by you. That was the catalyst to all of this work being done. So going back to me talking about this nationally, I was like, um, being a director of a fatherhood program, I understood how um, fatherhood programs and child welfare systems and child support, they were like fire and water, right? And they just didn't mix. And I was telling them about a, a partnership that I was in where it was mixing and it was mixing well. And the outcomes were Fathers were starting to reunify. Fathers were starting to be part of the case plan. Fathers were happy because they had their children in their lives. And so when Angela talks about Mathematica reaching out, that's what they were asking. We've been hearing in different spaces that this partnership is producing these things. We want to find out if it's real. And so, you know, the rest of the story. Well, I think there's a unique story here in, in L.A. Well, one, because you, I don't think anybody can just walk around and go, L.A., because uh, you know, LA means a lot of things to a lot of people, and and you've got multiple communities and and you know multiple divisions within the county itself. Um, so uh, two things here about as as we start to talk about like the teaming and getting 
you know, the, the agency itself involved. Um, first, Angela, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I want to kind of remind myself to kind of talk about your unique role and ability to kind of gain momentum uh, coming from the position that you're in within the organization. But first, um, so you were able to, and just for folks to, who are listening, to understand that the, the BSC was not just implemented in one part of LA, but you had two communities involved. And so you kind of had this, and when we talked earlier, you had the one team, two communities approach. Can you explain that to me? Yeah, so when um, BSC did come and meet with us uh, in LA County, so first of all, L.A. County child welfare is larger than most states, just L.A. County. We have 20 regional sites, offices, 19 regional administrators. And again, one office in and of itself can have 3,000 children. And again, that's more than most whole entire child welfare uh, you know, systems. So with that, when you come to L.A. County and you really want a true picture, and more so than just a true picture, you know, um, as Alan Michael stated, for us, we made a decision a long time ago. And we've been at this for a very long time. You know, people probably think we just descended into father engagement. What Alan Michael speaks of and our meaning of the mind, I mean, that came over a period of time and working together and toiling together. And I do mean toiling together. And largely around our equity work for African-American children and families. So we already had a relationship, we had a form, we had all of those things long before uh, the BSC. And so I say that to say that when you really wanna affect change in LA County and we don't do anything. And when I say we, I mean myself as well as the community, we put our stake in the ground. We don't do anything to Alan Michael's point that he made earlier, that's not really gonna effectuate change. And so in LA County for you to center in on just one community, one office by the time that it leaves, let's say in particular Vermont Corridor, which is, you know, South LA, and it gets to Palmdale, we've gone through three directors and we've gone through three practice changes. And so, you know, it was not going to be effective, not to the point that we knew that it needed to be. And so what I proposed for the BSC, and they did have to go back, you know, and say, well, we can't make that decision. I proposed for them, for us to get involved that we would need to do, if there's only one team, okay? That's number one. We're not coming with two different perspectives or any of those things, but it is two communities, two very diverse and different communities. And yes, they have large African-American populations, but within that is diversity. And so for us, you know, um, what we had to offer was being involved, a lot of work. However, one team, two communities. And thankfully, um, they agreed to it, they understood it. And so that's how we emerged as two communities, one being that of Vermont Corridor, and the other being the Palmdale office, which is in the Etelo Valley area. Yeah, if I could just add, Tom, really quick, um, because for me, it's exactly what Angela said, but the, 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 the term or the approach, one team, um, two communities, also, in addition to um, the geographic location in Los Angeles, it was also the department and the community were two separate um, communities that had to team together as one to get the work done, right? So it was, for me, it was twofold, um, four teams down to one, right? Um, yeah, I just want, I'll add that. Well, Angela, you were in a unique 
position, having been, like you had mentioned, a regional director and then moving into your current role. So when you talk about trying to get the teams to become one team, uh, you had to identify the the, the right folks and also make sure that there was going to be momentum from all of these teams to join as one. How important, maybe even the, you know, just the value of the uniqueness, but how important was that to kind of just stir that momentum and move that forward and, and get this implement, implementation team kind of on the same page to start? And so it was paramount. Again, we weren't going to be able to join the BSC without that being the case. Because again, just to start in one area for LA County, the movement would just, it's just too slow. But more importantly, um, organically, we already knew the who. We already know the champions in this work. And we're not talking about those that rally and rah, rah. We're talking about those that get in, volunteer, you know, roll up their sleeves, you know, change agents. And so it was very easy for Alan Michael and I to, you know, agree on who that should be. I mean, these are already champions. They're warriors and they're not the only ones, but they were the two at the time that we knew would bring the diversity that was needed. They're on opposite ends uh, geographically. And both of them are leaders within their own rights. You know, you have a black male leader, you have a black female leader. And it's very important uh, with the way that we are, uh, I would say our landscape in that there are those that, you know, lead silently and those there are those that lead boldly. And these are two leaders that the rest would come on board. And that's very important. You have to know. So you're looking at these two leaders and you're saying, okay, if VC is doing it and Palmdale is doing it, we want in, you know, and that's exactly what has happened. Alan Michael. No, I, I agree with you. And I would also add, and Angela, uh, she didn't coin the phrase, but she was the one who brought it to our group, that we did it intentionally and unapologetically, right? So intentionally, we wanted to pick the right people, and there was a diversity in that. We had Caucasian fathers that had been through. We had Latino men and women at the table and the team. So it was intentional who the team was, and it was very important that it was those people, if we wanted to... to create and further the momentum that we had already done through this BSC. Um, and Angela in her position in the department and just her personality itself, to be perfectly honest with you, was instrumental in bringing those people to the table because it meant you had to have some courage. It meant that you had to be able to say, this ain't right and we're willing to fix it, right? And we're willing to partner with the community to do it. Not everybody's in, in that position or willing to do that because you got to stick your head out a little bit, right? As a community member, I had to, too. I knew that, oh, yeah. that in, in the work that I was doing, I, some people were just not going to like what I was being said, right? And some of the community members were would feel like, oh, my God, he done sold, sold out to the department as working with the department. But I learned early on, you got to be at the table, right? And so Angela bringing everybody to the table, I think, was, again, instrumental in making sure that that, that momentum um, was able, able to move the work forward forward. Well, there, Tom, go ahead. Tom, it's, it's important to know when Alan Michael was talking, I thought of something because he's so right. So for the two of us, we really put our backs up against each other. We have both stepped out there when it could have landed us differently, but we were willing to do it. He was willing to do it with his employer where he was. Yes, he was a community partner, but he let his heart lead. 
oftentimes to a fault, not a fault in the work, but a fault to his position. And I have done the same thing. And so it's just perfect synergy around, as uh, John Lewis would say, good trouble. When you get Alan Michael and Angela together, it's good trouble. Well, there's something to be said about when a leader takes the risk and is going to show that, be it be it courage, be it strength, or be it the first one to stand up, because then you'll get folks to follow. But if a leader shows to be cautious, everybody else takes a step back. So this is a testament to, to the leadership. And if you've got multiple teams, when those leaders are both aligned and everybody's just, you know, everybody's in agreement, there's a lot of times where you get agreement in conversation, but never agreement in action. But if your leaders take that first step and it's a bold step, people then see the path get uh, get get forged. Um, let me move a little bit into the actual implementation here. Uh, and if you if you're able to to kind of go through some of those strategies or within the B, the BSC was called the, the plan do study acts, those strategies that you guys implemented and implemented with the community and how they kind of aligned to your overarching goals of really kind of turning the tables on father engagement. Mike, I'll let you kick it off. Sure. So um, in, in our PDSAs, um, we, we, we didn't want them to be talk, right? And so we wanted them to be measurable and realistic. And so, but again, going back to being intentional and unapologetic. And I'll give you an example of one of the first ones we did. Um, and it goes back to what Angela said about, um, you know, in the culture of a just going with the flow of father not being, not being involved or um, father known. Um, in one of those two regions, in the Vermont corridor, one of our plan do um, study acts was to create a instrument that would counter that, right? And so the, the, we called it a father inclusion form that we created. And it just meant that you were going to take the extra step to, to, to not go along with father just unknown. And, I, and I, I'll give you an example of that form. Um, we had heard before that the mother of a child would say, oh, he's deceased. Well, in this form, it made you ask a couple more questions and it made you do a little more. So if, it, if she says, oh, the father's not around, he's dead. Well, oh, this form said, well, then ask for a copy of the death certificate. So now we know for sure he's dead, right? But prior to that, we would have written in the report, father deceased, right? And so in this, the, 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 the test, the pilot was in this one office workers and, and staff started to utilize this, this form that was a strategy implemented through the BSC that then spread and people in, across the county started to hear about, oh my God, they have this one, it's a one page form, right? With just maybe 10 questions, but it made all the difference in, in intentionally includes, including the father and or paternal relatives, because to Angela's point, um, if they said he was dead, they wouldn't even you know, move any further. It was like, okay, that's it. But now because this form guided you to say, okay, well, where's his mom? And does he have any siblings that might be able to take this child prior to them going into care, right? That's a different mentality and very strategic. And those that's how, that's how we guided the, the PDSAs. We did it around our race and equity work at the same time. Um, what PDSA could we create that um, would be intentional, unapologetic, and show um, 
momentum at addressing the racial inequity that we see, not just in the department, but in, in, in our society and systems in general, right? And so um, we were strategic in creating those and aligning it with the community so that it was both, you know, we're not putting the onus on the department to do it, but the community had a role too, going back to that partnership. I'll stop because you got to stop me because I could talk all day. <laughs> and Alan Michael's right. And, and about the intentionality, Again, see, when you're already doing the work, the BSC actually came along at a very good time for where we're positioned, we were positioned to be. So for us, we already had ideas around, you know, what needs to change, what needs to look different. And, you know, this was, if I could say, this was just the infusion I feel that we needed, you know, and not only, you know, for our jurisdiction, but even to hear from other jurisdictions, you know, you always are in a posture of learning. And so this was a perfect time for us to even, to me, test out, you know, some of our theories and what we were thinking and, and so on and so forth. And so uh, to Alan Michael's point, uh, I call that a form that he mentioned a game changer, you know, to ask the question. It goes back to what I said in the beginning, you know, we would just take it, you know, at its word, you know, now you, you can't, you shouldn't, you won't. You know, all of those things. And so um, with that, you know, it's for the BSC at this time, at this place for L.A. County, you know, it was like our next step. It was the push because sometimes we get mired down by what we call the whirlwind of priorities. And, you know, I, I can go on and on about our crisis and things of that nature. But this centered us. I know that's what it did for L.A. County. It centered us. You know, we had deliverables, we had timetables, we had technical support, you know, all of the things that you really need when you're talking about implementing. And so for us, it was just a, a perfect time and place for LA County. What it also sounds like is that that structure allowed the real change to happen, which wasn't a structural change per se, but as Alan Michael mentioned, a mental shift to how is everybody approaching? What are you walking into the conversations with? You know, how is your, how is your view? How are you viewing the world, right? Um, and so not only is that something in, in, as simple as a, as a one-page form, but in making that mental shift, you guys also instituted a little bit of a, of a marketing or a communication campaign to get that conversation going. So it, you know, you're planting more seeds in people's heads to approach things a little differently, father strong, right? That was the term. What what was that campaign across the county? What did that mean to the county's you know systems and agencies when when that was implemented and rolled out? I'll let you start, Angela, and then I'll give what I think. Absolutely. And so, what we know about LA County and child welfare in general is, again, as I mentioned, the whirlwind. So many priorities, so many policies, so many everything. Uh, Really, it ha and you think you have to say something seven times for an adult? We well, have said 107 times, okay, <laughs> in child welfare. It has to be something that just is. It's got to be what you do. Alan Michael talks about this all the time. It can't be mandated. You know, we don't do well with mandates in, in, in L.A. County. I can tell you that. You know, we'll do it for this week. But the minute you take your eye off of it, that mandate is out the window, as Alan calls our check boxes. We're always checking boxes around here. And so for this not to be a checkbox, I mean, it took us, it took us a while to land on Father Strong. Uh, we went through several 
you know, different monikers and things of that nature. We're like, uh-uh, no, 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 that's not it. But it not only needed to be something that we could grasp, it had to be something that somebody, a father from the community could walk into a lobby, see it, and think, wow. I mean, it was more than just about us. And um, I, I just remember being in Pasadena when we, when we landed on Father Strong. And it was, it did something, you know, it was one of the, another one of those heartstring type things, you know, you felt it. It was like, that's it. That's it. Okay. All the other little catchy things and all of that. Cause not only again for the department, it's just quick into it. Father's strong. Fathers are strong. Of course they're strong. And we're not talking about physically, you know, we're talking about emotionally, mentally, you know, they are, they're, they're really the strong part of a family, you know, all of that. And so for the department, you know, it became, you know, Father Strong, what's Father Strong? And then we started talking about that everywhere we went. We, you know, we'll say father engagement, but we'll say Father Strong. If I hear someone say fatherhood, I'll put in the, I'll put in the chat Father Strong. You know, I'm always, you know, we all we all do it, especially the whole champion crew. And so again, you know, for me, more importantly was not only what the department could get out of it, and Alan Michael could speak this better than I ever could, but for a father to hear that this department child welfare you know is coining father strong you know that did it for me yeah that's exactly where i was going to go um you know in 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 working with fathers and engaging systems far too often we everything's a deficit right it's what they're not doing it's how what they're not who they not are how much money they don't have how, how long their criminal record is, you know, how they're abusive, right? And we wanted to change the narrative, right? The subtitle to Father Strong is Stronger Families, Stronger Communities, right? So Father Strong, Stronger Families, Stronger Communities. And what we knew at the very beginning, um, not that we wanted to highlight fathers, we wanted to use fathers and paternal relatives as another medium to improving the outcomes of kids. Hence, Stronger Families, Stronger Communities. And so just changing the narrative about the deadbeat dad, we thought we wanted something that just with the words, and again, Angela's, you know, she's not physical. It, I'm, a, I'm a strong daddy, right? I tell people all the time, I'm the best damn daddy I know, right? Absolutely. And for me to hear that an, an, an entity with all my shortcomings, right? I'm still the best dad I know. So to, for as to Angela's point, when a father hears, Father Strong is a tagline of the Department of Children and Family Services, they're like, wait a minute, this is a different shift than what we've heard before, where they're always talking about, we ain't no good, right? And so it, not, it was not only popular amongst those of us who were um, creating this partnership, and it was um, strategic again, because it wasn't a, a department initiative and we were just going along with it. It was a complete partnership um, between the community and the department. So nobody had more power than the other. Decisions were made together. And this was to hopefully um, further the work of the father engagement and paternal relative work that we had already been doing. So this was supposed to catapult it to the next level. And it's exactly what it did. And it's subliminal, Tom. I mean, it, for me, for the boots on the ground staff, to Alan Michael's point, and we thought about all of that. We talked about all of that. It's subliminal. Father strong. I mean, you know, you get that in your head. You know, it, it starts to change the way you move. 
when you're thinking about paternal relatives and just paternalistic thoughts and things of that nature. You know, we, we're going to change that narrative, not only, you know, for the fathers, you know, within ourselves, you know, and so it had everything to do about all of that. No, I was just going to say, I would add, you know, and we also talked about and thought about and anticipated the backlash, like, right? So are you saying fathers are more more important than mothers? Absolutely not. We utilize father strong as saying that's a strong component to the family to assist mother, to assist the children. So this is about when you say family, you mean the whole family, not just mothers and children, which is what systems typically do when they say families. It really means mom and kid. We're saying we're going to be intentional and unapologetic about when we say family, we mean the whole family. And this Father Strong initiative will be intentional in including it in the Department of Children and Family Services, which it hadn't been in the past. Which takes me back because I got to throw this in right here because I don't want to forget it. And this was another um, Alan Michaelism. So it is intentional that Black women, women in general, are carrying the message. It sounds different when you have a black woman that's saying, oh, absolutely, the father is strong. Hence the other leader, which was a female. We wanted to make sure we had a male and a female because it is important. And yes, they are strong and they're pivotal. And it is important to to everyone to know that it is not a competition, okay? (laughs) But you need both parts. And, you know, and Alan Michael is very interesting when he landed on it and he started uh, at one point, it was just fathers and men that were in the community and doing this work. And I happened to be partnering with him when he landed on it. And it was genius when he landed on, we have some women champions. We need women walking through these offices and in the community, you know, and for me that resonated. And I think that's another place where Alan Michael and I had synergy. I think when we had our moment, and he'll remember back, was uh, one of my blind spots was the fact that I had very strong, strong paternal familiar relatives, my grandfather, my great grandfather, my father. But that's not the reality for most, especially for African-Americans. And so it was and I can say that now it was a blind spot for me. Because it was like, well, how dare you? You know, I love men, you know. And Alan Michael was both, yeah, you do, okay? (laughs) Alan Michael said, yeah, you do, but look around, you know. Look around, see others, you know. Their story is different, you know. And so even just that and those kind of moments, you know, for me, you know, I became honored to be like one of the voices in this work. Because remembering, and I have to say it, I, I know that Alan Michael knows this because I've been on stage as a result of him and things of that nature. You know, I always knew how important that was to who I am. But really in this work, I was able to truly just go all the way back. Alan Michael heard me do it on a stage. I think Tiffany was there too. Uh, and in uh, one of his fatherhood uh, meetings that he does, it used to do in June. And even when I was getting my, you know, my speech together and all of that, it was so easy to write and so easy to deliver because it's so true. And I started to then pick out um, aspects of myself and my personality and my boldness. And all of that leads back to who my paternal parent was, you know. And so just, you know, in this work, you really even find yourself. 
And then you're able to like, as we say, uh, unapologetically, intentionally, you know, like I have to do this. <laughs> this is not something that I'm mandated to do. We have to do this. So I had to, I had to throw that in. Well, and to the last part of your question, Tom, about how does it, how does it, um, what does it mean to other systems, right? So now across LA County, in most systems, they are aware of Father Strong. I, I do the same work in child support and with LAUSD and probation, and they are aware that we are changing the narrative around specifically these men of color who are deficient and deadbeats to strong people in the community that can help us make a change, whether it be in, in, in um, incarceration or healthcare, strong men are part of the solution to ad addressing some of our social um, inequities. Tom, it's so interesting. Child support reached out to DCFS. Never in my career would I think I would have seen this to ask us why we thought that fathers, in particular fathers of color, black and brown, would not come forth. They, you know, we know they love their children, so on and so forth, because, you know, we're all changing the narrative. And I never thought I would see the day that they would come to DCFS and ask, and we would tell them the truth and tell them that the only way we would partner with them, which is a system that we have now, I'll partner with you, but not as a gotcha. I refuse. I will never give you a father's name for you to get financial support. I have my whole thoughts around that. And yes, fathers, mothers, everyone should financially support to the best of their ability, their children. But more importantly, I need them in their lives. I need them to give them what money could never give them. And so even to have that kind of a conversation with child support and them to be willing to listen to everyone's point, yours and Ellen Michaels about position and, you know, and me being positioned where I am and, you know, able to be an executive that would say, you know, because what you do is detrimental, you know, to a child and to a family. You think you're helping, but you're not. There's other ways of coming at where you're trying to go, but the way you really want to do it is through the heart of the child. So I had to throw that in as well. Well, you're, you're giving this sense of, you know, when I, I wanted to go and ask about, you know, outcomes, because, you know, you can change minds, but what does the data tell you? Well, you've just, you've just given me <laughs> what all the outcomes and what, what a culture shift uh, can do, because you've gone beyond checking the box and really now to talking about, well, let's be honest, a system may have structure to it and processes and protocols, but it's still run by people. And when decisions have to be made within that structure, it's still people who are making those decisions with their hearts and minds. And if you're changing those, you can change the system. Um, but I'd be curious to think about what are the biggest lessons, or maybe even this, if you were to do this all over again, because if somebody's listening right now and they've gone through 40 minutes of this and it sounds great and it sounds like everything just worked, you know, somebody took a step up and everything happened and poof, magic, not so. Give me a sense of what you found the most challenging through this. I'll start, right? Um, if, if, if I could, though, Tom, I just add some outcomes and then I'll get to your question, right? Because for me, um, the data and the outcomes is in the people that I serve, right? I, I still facilitate fatherhood groups. And when I hear a father said, because of the partnership and Father Strong, I've reunified with my son, 
or reunifying my daughter, that's all the outcome that I need. And I hear it frequently now. It used to be they're making me jump through another hoop. They're, they don't listen to me. They shut me out. They're canceling my visitation. They're da 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 da. And now we're starting to hear differently. In, in our support groups every week, when we get a, hit a milestone, somebody will walk in, hey, I increased my business. I went to unmonitored. We all clap, right? That used to be once in a while. Now it's every week, right? That's the outcome that I hope that, hope that would happen. I also hear, um, because I spend a, a significant amount of my time working with the department, I hear an attitude and a cultural change amongst the staff. I hear them checking each other. Girl, did you ask about the father? Did you ask about the daddy, right? So they're, they don't need Alan Michael anymore because the champions in the office are challenging each other about their practice change. Those are big outcomes for me because that means we're, we're not just changing policy, we're changing how we actually implement policy into practice with families that we serve. So the, the biggest lessons learned, there's two. We, the, and it goes back to your first question. The community cannot do it by itself, neither can the department, right? That was the biggest challenge because I went in, and you'll probably edit this, but I went in to kick with the department, right? I'm going to go in and kick and take names. Didn't work, right? It. I don't care if I would have rallied all of the community together. The department is a system that's guided by policies and laws that the community needs to understand. So the biggest lesson learned for me is that there needed to be a partnership, right? Um, the other lessons learned, lesson learned is that we all have some, some, some family drama trauma, all of us. I don't care who you are. And one of the, I think the, the biggest instruments we took away from the BSC was to really hone in on the training that we were doing. And this wasn't the very didactic stand in front of the room and, and do quotes and statistics. This was, let's get in there and Angela, let's talk about your father. Let's talk about your, your, your husband, right? Because that's going to make you reflect on their roles and hence the, the people that are standing in front of you as, as, as clients, right? It was a different approach because prior to that, we had done just those regular father engagement trainings, the, the, the traditional check the box, implicit bias, sexual harassment trainings. And we changed it through the BSC and was very intentional. We're going to have some straight talk. We're going to talk about how Andy, Tom, Tiffany, Alan, Michael, Angela, we all have bias. All of us. And all of us, guess what? Have a bias against men of color. We can't help it, right? Our society paints a picture when we see those mug shots, when we hear and CNN and Fox and all of these, it gives us a bias that we sometimes we're not aware of. And it means we have to talk about it before we start working with families who mirror what we were, we're hearing. When people start to address, you know, it's okay to have biases. I just can't let it affect my work. That's a different mindset than the ignorance like, oh, I don't see color. I, I, I don't hear color. I don't see color. That's different, right? And so we started to see People say, well, you know what? I can't just call this guy aggressive anymore because aggressive means a lot when you when you put it on a man of color. Because when I see aggressive on a, a black man's um, case plan, it means that in my mind, if I was a judge, oh, maybe he hit somebody or he did something. And in all actuality, it was he hung up the phone on me. Right. That's not aggressive. And so we start having real conversations around what that looks like. And we were intentional. So the lessons learned was to, to, to take it to the next level of being a little more realistic than the policy and the systems that were created long ago that haven't worked for decades. We were intentional at changing it and doing something different and being bold about it was my lesson, right? Um, yeah. 
And so for me, from the department side, uh, we stayed siloed, siloed too long. And so if I had to go back all, you know, and just all over again, we would be doing things simultaneously. You know, we're just now getting the policies and training as Alan Michael mentioned. And, 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 and as he said, you know, like hands-on training, real talk. And that's, I think it's the name of his training. I love it. Real talk. Okay. We're just getting there, you know? So I imagine had we done that, you know, some of that even from the beginning, how much further along we would be. And so, uh, you know, we kept it to ourselves, you know, and, and, and I kept it to myself and, and my crew, my little group, you know, you know, we should have pushed the envelope a little more. We pushed it, but not like we're pushing it now. And so if I had to go back and that was your question and do it all over again, you know, um, it would have been structured in a way that we were doing both. And I mean, you know, it, it, it takes for a policy in this department. It takes a year. Okay, <laughs> You know, Alan Michael is actively sitting on the the father engagement policy group, you know, and it's good work, but it takes time to move the ship, you know. So imagine if we start moving that ship at the same time, we start having these revelations, you know, um, we would be further along. And again, you know, I'm just glad we are where we are. And to Alan Michael's point, the other thing I hear people doing it, and uh, I love that we've made this, if you will, a safe space. I have leaders that come to myself and Alan Michael and say, I don't do well with fathers. I don't do well. I would rather you do that any day in the week than take your by yourself, okay, and ruin that case and then come, you know, uh, for the help. And so we have people that are stepping up and realizing, and, and, and you know, we've done the undoing, what is it, the bi- what is it, undoing, no, bias. What's bias, implicit bias is what I'm thinking about. We've done implicit bias training where you can say, I'm biased. We're all biased to Alan Michael's point. And so now we have those that will say, you know, and they know why they don't do well with family. To Alan Michael's point, because little Angela didn't do well, you know, her father left her and he abandoned her. And so they abandoned, fathers abandoned. So I'm not going to spend my time on this person that's going to abandon. Anyway, you're bringing your own stuff, if you will, into the room. So we now have those that are saying, I see it. This is probably not a good case for me, you know, to service. And, and, and that's movement. So again, you know, uh, it would be the silos, the silos and, and certainly the training. And, uh, and not, as Ella Michael said, the didactic training, the training that he is spearheading where people are in rooms and they're crying. They need to cry. OK, we need to cry. <laughs> you know, we need to get to the root of all for us to be able to service anyone. And so, you know, now we're doing that. And so with those things together, you know, if we could have just done them sooner, but the good news is we're doing them now. Yeah, I have one other um, takeaway that I would do differently. And, and I would request that we had brought other partners and, and I learned this in the BSC from other places that we would have brought um, our judicial and our legal system in, in our partnership early on. Right, because we're doing all that we're doing, and if the judges and and the attorneys are not on board, we're still stuck. So I would have brought and made an equal partner our judicial system part of this work, so they got it early on. Because now we're going back and trying to pull them in and say, "Listen to what we've learned," and and jump on board. I wish we would have started with them and said, and 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 to to our defense, we did have some legal partners on, but not the judicial system. We didn't have the judges at the table in the way that we needed them. 
to um, make the changes that we want and that we're seeing now um, in hindsight. Totally agree. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. In going on this now, not every jurisdiction out there has the luxury of calling Alan Michael. And and they don't have somebody like Angela who has, you know, a position within the hierarchy to be able to kind of make that bold step and be courageous with it. But Angela and Alan Michaels, I I'd, I'd, finally I'd like to get your take. You've given us a lot of thought on what you may have done differently and how, you know, other jurisdictions who are thinking about making these kind of steps what would the advice you would give to a cohort somewhere else across the country who is at that decision point about making a cultural change like this? What would your advice be to them? So I would back up and say that I I, I, I disagree with you a little bit, right? I'll push back on it because I think um, everybody does and can have an Alan Michael and Angela. And what the BSC taught me is that because I thought I was again going to come in and I was going to be the the errand boy for the department and praise them and da 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 da. But from the beginning, the BSC said, "No, your voice is just as strong as Angela's." Right. So, in the my my words of advice would be in those communities that are trying to have com, um, community in those jurisdictions where they're trying to have community and the department um, work together that they go in as equal partners and not, cause I've been one of those partners when you go in with the system that you're the A man, you're in the A man corner. Right. And if you buck, they're out because they're in charge, create, um, partnerships where it's equal and not one-sided, right? Because as a community member, I am re- re- um, representing the people of Los Angeles. Right. And so I have um, um, an obligation to not just let Angela say, well, this is what the way the department runs, like it or not. No, then I need to go to other methods and bring other people. Obviously, that's not what she said. But if it was, respectfully, I'd be like, oh, no, that don't work for me because I'm representing that. So my advice would be don't stand for um, on both sides that it has to be this way or, or that way, that really both come to the table as with an equal partnership to, to do what you need to do. Because I don't think we could have done it if, um, even in the BSC, if at the beginning they didn't say, we want the community, we want fathers, we want the department, we want everybody. And, and we were invited to all of those meetings, right? Because they could have easily just, even with this, Tom, you could have easily just interviewed Angela. But to have community at the table, that's intentional that will give somebody else hearing it saying, oh, it wasn't just a department saying it. There was a community member at the table at the same time. That was huge. So um, this is my favorite question for several reasons. Um, I love that Ellen Michael said that and Tom won't mind me sharing this with you. So they did come to me. And I said, okay, <laughs> as I always say, yeah, I can't do this without Ellen Michael. Okay. True. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, so I mean, that's just real, you know, and so and that's what that's one thing everybody can do. Refuse to go into a space without your partner. Me going into this space without Alan Michael is like me walking in without my legs. I'm just going to keep it real. And so, you know, as you know, we were like, OK, we got to get Alan Michael scheduled. And if Alan Michael can't make it, then I can't make it. Okay, And that's what happened. Tom knows that's exactly what happened. What I will say to you, Tom, is this an excuse? And I can say that I've been in child welfare for 30 years for that person. And I've said this in spaces when I've been asked, you know, but what about when you're in a jurisdiction where you can't do what you're doing? What I would say to you is I was doing this before I was in this position. I would also say to you, 
it is, I can do less in this position than I could do in lower positions. And why is that? Because I'm amongst the people. I'm amongst the practitioners. I am boots on the ground. This work did not start when I became an executive. All that I get to do now that I'm an executive is to be at the table where I'm able to say that you guys know this was happening, which they did not. Okay, so I get to bring it into that space and in that room. But what I can tell you, my greatest work was done when I was in the field. And Alan Michael can attest to it, as can Tiffany. I I can't even go to the same meetings that I could go to when I was boots on the ground. You know, and so it's an excuse because to Alan Michael's point, we all come with free will. You have to decide how you're going to exercise yours. And Alan Michael's right. For me, I've always been unapologetic. I'm always, I've always said, what do you mean you don't see me? I'm an African-American woman, proud of it, wouldn't want to be anything any differently. But that's as a CSW, an SCSW, which is a supervisor, social worker, ARA, regional administrator, all well before I became an executive. I've been an executive only four years out of the 34. So for 30 years, I've been the same person. But you have to be bold. You have to, you have to, you're true. You have to, you have to buy in. And again, you know, it can't just be for show. It can't be that something you do, you know, and for those of us that work in this, we can't be climbing, if you will. You know, uh, for me, this uh, executive position um, I, this is the first time I ever agreed to come to the executive level because it was around the community. Everything that I do, everything in my bureau is around the community. You know, our young people, faith, uh, equity, those kind of things. That is my life. So stepping into this is what I was already doing anyway, but you have to be willing to be true to yourself. That's what Ellen Michael's talking about. You have to be willing to really be in this work because it's who you are, not what you do. And so I would say to them, it doesn't matter your jurisdiction. And they just say that. I just met with Minnesota. They had me come in, you know, everything going on there around George Floyd and those kind of things. And I told them the same thing. I told them I do not sit in this work because I'm a deputy director in the largest child welfare agency. I was already in this space, regardless of my moniker. So that would be what I would share with. One of the more enjoyable conversations I've had in more than 70 episodes hosting the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. And that's because you guys, as you've mentioned a few times, intentional and and unapologetic. Um, And I thank you so much because I can just hear from, from the passion that not only do you care about what you're doing, that you're incredibly busy doing it. Uh, and for you both to, to, to carve out some time and share with us um, on what you're doing, what you've done, what you continue to do. And then hopefully folks can, can have some takeaways to, to implement what you've done um, in L.A. And, and part of the, the BSC and everything that you guys are, uh, are, are making change. Um, Angela Parks Piles, Dr. Alan Michael Graves, thank you guys so much for uh, for joining and for sharing and being a part of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you for having us. Now, if you haven't heard the other parts of this series, I encourage you to listen to the other episodes featuring what occurred in Hartford, Connecticut and Prowers County, Colorado. Now, there are different approaches, teams and strategies applied that worked for their communities. So, 
It gives you a different perspective from not only what we heard from such a large organization like L.A. County, but a mid-sized region like Hartford and a more rural, smaller agency in southeastern Colorado. And you can find all the episodes of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, and also on childwelfare.gov. This episode's webpage, just go to childwelfare.gov and search podcasts. We will have links to the Fathers and Continuous Learning and Child Welfare Projects BSC pilot study report, and that's titled A Seat at the Table, Piloting Continuous Learning to Engage Fathers and Paternal Relatives in Child Welfare. Now, you can read the insights into the implementation of a BSC and potential strategies for increasing father and paternal relative engagement in child welfare. We'll also have links to information gateway resources on engaging fathers and paternal family members, uh, a list of fatherhood organizations, uh, along with links to the National Fatherhood Initiative and the National Responsible Fatherhood Clearinghouse. All right. I really want to thank Angela Parks-Piles from the Los Angeles County Department of Children and Family Services and Dr. Alan Michael Graves from the Good Plus Foundation for their time and willingness to be, as they said, intentionally unapologetic in chatting with us today. And of course, my thanks to you for listening and joining us here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. I'm Tom Oates. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Child Welfare Information Gateway is available at childwelfare.gov and is a service of the Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Administration for Children and Families. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Information Gateway or the Children's Bureau.